welcome, and thank you for listening to the Bellevue Sermon Podcast. Today's message comes to you from the pulpit of Bellevue Baptist Church in Gadsden, Alabama, through our Sunday morning preaching ministry. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you, and that the Lord would use it for His glory. And then last week, we saw Paul explain that the aim of correction, right, the goal of correction is love. Whenever we correct someone, we should seek to show love, to produce love in them, and we should always filter that correction through the love and the word of God. Today, Paul returns to the idea of false teachers once more. But instead of telling us what the false teachers lead to in terms of the destruction of the church, Paul will give us more of an understanding of what these false teachers are doing. And in that, Paul gives us sort of a profile of false teachers. We can see what kind of people they are. And that's important. Because false teachers don't come with a warning label. All sorts of teachers out there that we listen to and that we uh, find these days. In fact, it's estimated that more people today consume education material than ever before. And uh, I think a lot of that is probably due to YouTube. If you want to learn anything at all, you can go to the internet. But what we find is that the internet's answers are not always the most reliable things out there. Uh, Whether it's getting halfway through a car repair and realizing that the guy in the YouTube video is telling you the wrong thing to do, or whether it's false theological teaching, we have to be very careful. And as I said, false teachers don't come with a warning label. Of course, we have been quick to call out those false teachers and ministries that we believe are false teachers. And, And the fact is that we can never be exhaustive in that because there are so many false teachers out there and they they sprout up left and right. A few weeks ago, we we talked about recognizing people like Joel Osteen and Kenneth Copeland and and Stephen Furtick and Bethel and Hillsong and those folks. But guys, that's low hanging fruit. This is this is easy. Anyone with discernment can can pick those folks off. We can stand here and and, and pick on them and and blast those guys. And and you know what? That's great that we know that those are false people. But that's easy. It's basic. They're blatant about it. They're public. It's in everything they do. It's it's in their music. It's in their conferences. It's on their television shows, etc. But not all false teachers are so clearly recognizable at first glance. They don't always look like a sleazy TV preacher, right? Remember what Scripture tells us about the devil. It tells us that the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. So what am I saying? I'm not telling you to be paranoid, but I am telling you that we need to test everything by Scripture. And when it comes to the teaching that, again, we allow into our life, we have to be very, very careful. Why? Sometimes the false teacher in your life isn't a TV preacher. It isn't some big name. Sometimes the false teacher in your life is a friend or a family member or a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or a social media account that you follow. Sometimes false teachers are the people that we know the best. And I say this because I know that for some of you, this is true. But we can't mess around here. 
Paul warned us of that a few weeks ago. If we allow false teaching in, it leads to false worship and ultimately to, to false fruit. And we wind up with a, with a show and a sham rather than a church. So what can we learn about false teachers here in order to combat them and in order to preach and teach faithfully? Well, let's look at our passage together. Again, this is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And if you're physically able and willing, would you please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy word? I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You follow along in your translation. Paul says in verse 6, Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, we have read from your word this morning. We read of how there are false teachers. There are certain people who have swerved from the truth of the gospel. Lord, may it not be us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be faithful. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be uh, strong and courageous. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be exactly the kind of people you want us to be. And Lord, we know that... Perhaps the primary way you shape us is through the preaching of your word. And so, Lord, we pray now that as we look into your word, as we examine it verse by verse, that, Father, you would work in our lives. You would shape us. You would cut away those things which you're not pleased with. And, Lord, you would build up within us the grace we need in order to live a life that is pleasing to you. Lord, convict us, encourage us, strengthen us, help us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul here has been addressing these specific false teachers who he has identified as certain persons. Uh, in another few weeks, we'll get a clue as to who these might be. But right now, Paul is telling us that these certain persons who were teaching a false doctrine, he begins here in verse 6, he says, certain persons have swerved away from these. What are the these that Paul is speaking of here? Well, it's the pure heart, the good conscience, and the sincere faith that we were talking about last week. It is the love of God and neighbor. They have turned from the things that they were supposed to be about. They have turned from loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, from loving their neighbor as himself. They've turned from the pure heart, the sincere faith, and the good conscience that comes from the gospel. They've turned away. They've swerved. We know what swerve means, right? When we're coming up the mountain and, a, and or around here, or if we're on the mountain and a, a one of those wonderful Nakalula neighborhood dogs runs out in front of us, and we swerve to miss it. A swerve is a change of direction. In order to, to keep from going down a particular path, right, in that case a good one, we are sparing the life of, a, of an animal, and we are moving to a different path. 
In this case, it is a negative one. Instead of following the path of faith and following the path of truth, it's like coming to a, to a fork in the road or an exit on the interstate, and you have to make a decision. These false teachers have swerved out of the good path down a false one. And so Paul here gives us an easy definition of a false teacher. A false teacher is someone who has swerved from the truth. If a teacher is not teaching truth, what is the point? If your history teacher teaches you that the Constitution was ratified in the 1960s or that the Civil War was before the Revolution, we would say, well, that is a bad history teacher. Plus, we all recognize that those things are wrong. We wouldn't look at that teacher and say, well, it's a matter of interpretation. It's not a matter of views. The teacher is wrong, and we know it. So here there are two sorts of things that should challenge us in that. First of all, there's no debate that if someone is deviating from the truth, right? In, for instance, in the school setting, they're a bad teacher. So why in the world do we tolerate it in the church with things that are of far more importance? And second of all, we all know our U.S. history enough to know the facts were wrong, so we easily recognize the error in the teacher. And yet many of you couldn't tell me if a pastor is preaching false doctrine because you don't know the doctrine well enough to spot the bogus teaching. So what do we do? We learn what Scripture says and we do it and we keep it and we fight to keep the truth going forth. Because all around us there are false teachers who have swerved. And Christians with discernment should be able to spot them. We have to be able to recognize false teaching where we see it if we're going to be able to survive. So who are false teachers and what do they do? Well, we see three kind of characteristics about them here in this text. And so therefore, we have three things we're going to examine about them. First of all, they abandon the gospel for fruitless talk. They abandon the gospel for fruitless talk talk. We just talked about false teachers have abandoned the gospel, right? They've swerved from the truth of love for God and neighbor. They've swerved from the pure heart, from a good conscience, from a sincere faith. They've swerved from things that only the gospel provides. And just as we've talked about before, we have to ask the question, why are we so focused on the gospel? Why are we so focused on the Bible? We have to ask the question, what are the goals of the church? If we had to simplify it down to three very simple things, the goals of the church would be to glorify God, to grow the saints, and to go to the lost. What can accomplish all of those things? I promise you that conversations about sports and movies and those things are fun, but they do not even come close to glorifying God in the same way that the gospel does. Nothing can compare to the fact that a holy God who would have been perfectly justified to just wipe us out and punish us for all eternity would set his grace on us and send his only son to die on the cross for our sins and take the punishment we deserve so we could spend eternity with him. Nothing glorifies God like the gospel. When it comes to growing the saints or growing believers, what will grow us? Right? Like self-help books might glorify you some. 
Paul says bodily exercise has some value, but what's of value more than anything in the world is growing in sanctification because that is profitable in every situation, both now and in eternity, and that only comes through the gospel. And going to the lost. How can they believe if they have not heard? What are they hearing? Not our political views, our personal commentary on things. They need to hear the gospel that saves. They need to hear that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father and that they must repent of their sins and believe in him in order to be saved. We keep focused on the gospel because that's the only thing that is fruitful. Anything else is fruitless and vain. And that is exactly the word that Paul uses here. He says they left the fruitful for the fruitless. They left the exceedingly eternal value of the gospel for the vain. They swerved from the truth and they went into vain discussion. And notice what the text says. They wandered into it. Without the truth to guide us, we will wander into falsehood. What's their falsehood? Vain discussion. I particularly love the way that the old King James translates this. Vain jangling. Now, Brandon Cook and I were talking about that this week, and we agree it'd make a great name for a rock and roll band. Vain jangling. But it's an awful alternative to the truth of the gospel. Vain jangling. Fruitless noise. That's what comes from the mouth and ministry of a false teacher. A bunch of noise. This is reminiscent of 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says, If we speak elegant and eloquent things but we don't love, we're like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Vain jangling. What does this look like in practice? We can see this in a lot of different disciplines, right? Pastorally, this looks like a preacher getting up and for 25 minutes talking about football, fun stories, and jokes, but doesn't give you the truth of the gospel and the preaching of the word that you desperately need. It looks like a Sunday school teacher devolving from teaching the truth of the text to railing about opinions and complaining about the young people or the old people or whatever group you want to insert. It looks like a friend that you go to for advice, and rather than telling you what Scripture says, they, they point you to some secular source or some secular teacher, and they say, well, just listen to your heart. All of those are vain jangling. It's fruitless. If we have the opportunity to speak into a person's life and to share and to teach the truth of the gospel to them, and we give them anything else, we might as well just shake our keys at them. Because that's all it is. Vain jangling. And let me ask you a question. Can you learn anything? Can we have any sort of productive conversation if my only method of communication with you is shaking my keys? The answer is no. And I know this because I have a toddler who does it. There is no fruitful conversation. So why in the world would we build our ministry in our church around that? Why would you teach that? Don't be a vain jangler. Be a fruitful communicator of the gospel. 
Now, some of you are sitting here and you go, well, <laughs> that's great, but I'm not a teacher. And on its face, that's not true. If you're a parent, for instance, you are a teacher. Scripture commands you to teach the gospel to your kids. And not just every once in a while, we're talking about repeatedly. Teach these things to your children when you sit at home or when you're out and about, whenever you go. You have a responsibility. Scripture commands you in that. If you're a believer, to some extent, you are a teacher. What does the Great Commission say? Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're good with that part. It's for all believers. But the sentence continues. Teaching them all I have commanded you. To some degree, we're all teachers, right? To some degree, we all have a person of influence who we are trying to hopefully communicate truth with. May we be true teachers and not False ones. Don't abandon the gospel for vain jangling. And some of you, you say, well, I would never abandon it. And we need to remember, abandoning it doesn't just mean an angry denial of the gospel. Sometimes abandoning the gospel is just pragmatism, right? Well, you know, more people like what I have to say, and I get more response when I, I, when I talk about these other things. People are more engaged. Sometimes abandoning the gospel is negligence. It's just over time, right? We, we just quit thinking and focusing on the gospel and we forget and we focus on the wrong things. But just because it's not an angry denial doesn't make it any less sinful. Don't rattle your keys in people's faces by talking about things that cannot change hearts. Teach the gospel. So you may ask, is my friend really a false teacher? Is that Sunday school teacher really a false teacher? Is this social media account that I follow a false teacher? The only way to answer that is to ask, do they abandon the gospel in favor of fruitless things? And if you're a teacher, you need to honestly evaluate yourself and ask others to do the same. Help you stay accountable. Do you teach scripture or are you jangling? And so the first thing we see about false teachers is that they abandon the gospel for fruitless talk. May we never do so. Secondly, we see that false teachers want a platform without preparation or purpose. What does that mean? Well, Paul tells us that not only have these certain persons wandered into vain jangling, but that they desire to be teachers while ultimately not understanding anything. They want a platform without preparation or purpose. At the most basic level, we know we can't teach what we don't know. If you ask me to teach calculus, you are in trouble. I don't know it. If you ask me to teach you German, you're in trouble. I got like three words. I know how to say pig in German. That's the only one I can think of right now. And the same is true with teaching biblically. If you don't know the word, you can't teach it. You can't teach what you don't know. But these people are said to have no understanding, and yet they desire to be teachers. Paul will later say in 1 Timothy that if someone desires to be an elder or a pastor, that that's a noble thing. 
But as with any important task, teaching is weighty. I shared at every Sunday school teachers meeting we have, I've shared it with you many times, that James 3.1 is my uh, scariest verse in all Scripture. Because it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And this is not meant to scare you off of teaching. It's to remind you that if you desire to be a teacher, it better be for the right reasons. It better be to glorify God and to faithfully teach his word. But we know, though, that these people didn't have the right heart about it. They desired to teach, but they didn't desire to prepare by learning the scriptures well, and they didn't desire to glorify God by faithfully teaching because they're teaching falsehood. You see, a desire to teach without a desire to prepare or a desire to glorify God and be faithful to him is an ungodly desire. A calling to teach is a calling to prepare. Someone asked me recently why I was doing a PhD, and I I told him, I was like, do you think that I enjoy this? Right? Like, I'd love to not have to deal with school, to not have to pay a bunch of money, to not have to put all this work in. But ultimately, the calling to teach and to preach is a calling to know the Scriptures the absolute best you can. Now, I'm not saying that every Sunday school teacher needs a doctorate or every believer needs one. But you better good and well prepare. You better know the material. You better put in the work Because we're not doing this for our own sake or for just what we think it's worth. We are doing this to the glory of God. And so what we have to be careful is to just operate based on our own standards. I know for a fact that many people like to wing it. Do you know how I know this? I once was many people. Remember when I was just a Sunday school teacher and... uh, (laughs) There, were, there was a morning one time where I showed up, and I had not even looked at the lesson until that morning. I just, what are we talking about today? It's wrong. It's sinful. It's not appropriate. We can't show up with a half-baked lesson because we won't prepare. In my experience, about half of the false teaching I've heard in churches came because someone was not prepared, and they said something that five minutes worth of study would have prevented Again, I'm not telling you you have to be a scholar and you need to be reading Greek and Hebrew, although we can teach you if you want to learn. But what I am saying is that you have a task and an opportunity to teach God's word and nothing is more important. So prepare, put in the work, ask a faithful teacher questions about the text, use good resources to help you. But coming in with no preparation is unacceptable. And the same is true if we are advising someone or if we're discipling someone or we're just teaching our kids or pouring into someone's life. We ought to know Scripture well enough that if someone asks us a question, we can point them to biblical truth on that subject. We need to be prepared. We look at these catechism things and we say, oh, well, these are so complicated and so difficult. And yet this is what school children were doing in the 1850s, in the 1690s. It's not that it's too hard, it's that we don't want to put in the work. 
But this also brings up another question. Why would these people want to teach if they didn't want to teach faithfully? And the answer is that they want the office without the work. Why? To scratch the itch of ego. They want a platform. They, they want attention. They want influence. They want power. And, and they don't want to prepare and they don't want to do it for the right reasons. No, they, they want the platform. And ultimately, if the only reason that you're in any of these things is, is for a platform or for a position of power, what you're doing is you're chasing your own glory rather than the glory of God. And you fundamentally have the wrong purpose. And that's true with anything that we're doing. If there's anything that we want to do in the church or in the, in the life of a Christian just to do it for the sake of influence or power or, or to make ourselves look good or attention, we are doing it for the wrong reasons. If our goal is anything other than the glory of God, we have the wrong purpose in mind. If your goal in teaching is to climb the ladder of influence in the church or to influence your friends in a particular direction that's not scriptural, you have a sinful desire rather than a godly one. And so if you're one of these teachers, I have two questions for you. If you're someone who teaches, and we've already established that's just about all of us, right? Here are the two questions we need to ask. How are you preparing? Even if it's just to read a passage of scripture to your kids at night. How are you preparing? Are you doing the best that you can? Again, I'm not telling you you need to, to just completely, you know, spend 53 hours on every Sunday school lesson. That's not the point. But we all have time. Do the best that you can. And then the second question is, why are you teaching? Honestly. You can lie to yourself. You can lie to your friends. You can lie to the general public, but you can't lie to the Lord. And so honestly answer this question, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for the glory of God or am I doing it for myself? We don't want to be people who just want a platform we want to be people who point to the Lord and his glory and his goodness. Thirdly and finally here, we see that false teachers speak confidently, but not truthfully. They speak confidently, but not truthfully. We see these false teachers are making confident assertions, is what Paul says here. They desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. In other words, they don't know what they're talking about. It doesn't matter how confident you are if you're wrong. They speak confidently. And for a, a lot of people, though, that listen to others, I, I've seen this many times, and studies will show that this is the case from what we've seen statistically, that an audience will generally take what someone says at face value if they say it confidently. As long as someone says it with some, with some force behind it, if they get up there and they say it with some confidence, generally people will believe it. We're not to do that. We're to judge everything by Scripture. We're to be faithful because we realize that confidence does not equal truthfulness. 
I learned this very early on. I had a friend in grade school who was confident he could fly. He was so confident, in fact, that he jumped off the third level of the playground piece of equipment we were playing on. And uh, he believed it with everything in him until he hit the ground and wound up in a cast. And even then, he said, well, maybe next time if I get a little more speed, you know. These false teachers were confident. They were confident in themselves. They're confident in their own abilities. They're confident in what they're doing. But they're mistaken in every way. It doesn't matter how confident we are if we're not correct. So many times it's those who are so confident that they're the best theological minds that fall into false teaching so easily. So these false teachers, they're talking with confidence, with boldness, with some semblance of authority. But I love what one commentator said. He says they have no idea what their teaching would do. They don't know what the impacts of it are. Now we know because Paul has clearly pointed out that if you follow this path, it leads to a place of destruction. They're just talking. They're vain jangling. They're doing their thing. And they have no clue the havoc they're wreaking on the church. And the lack of understanding here is it's grammatically important, right? I'm not going to bore you on, the, on the, the nature of the grammar here. But in Greek, this verb is one that doesn't just mean that they don't understand right now. It means they are continually not understanding. They're continually not knowing what's going on. They don't just not get it now. They continually don't get it. And the only thing worse than not getting it right is being dogmatically confident that your falsehood is correct. Well, how do we prevent that? We humble ourselves under Scripture. Confidence is not the goal. Correctness is. So if we have a question about something, we go to the source of pure, unadulterated truth. We go to Scripture. We see what it says, not what we want it to say or wish it said, but we analyze what does the Bible say, and we go from there. I'll tell you this, I am not confident in my own ability or strength or wisdom. I know myself, and I know I could easily mess up. But I'm totally confident in the truth of God's word. And so we need to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. We humble ourselves under God's word. We seek the truth. But practically, how does this show up? Well, arrogance is all over false teachers. We know that. But it can show up in our, in our church, in, in our family life, and in any of these other situations that we've mentioned so far in this way. Someone comes to you and asks you a biblical question. Now, I know well enough to know that for many of us, if someone comes up to us and says, hey, I want to ask you a question about the Bible, that many of us start to get a little shaky. We get nervous. So say in this question, in this situation, someone asks you this biblical question and you don't know the answer. You have two options. Option A, reveal that you don't know the answer. Or option B, make something up. Some people have so much ego that they would rather be wrong and look confident than say, you know, I don't know. Let's look at it together and study on it, and I'll get back to you. If the answer is just to make something up, that person's confident, but they're wrong. 
In the other scenario, someone is humble and will arrive at the right answer if they continue to look to God's word. Think about that carefully. If we're going to be effective teachers of God's word, we need to realize it is not about us. Our confidence needs to be in the right place. Just as we always say, it's not, the, it's not just our faith that saves us, it's the object of our faith, right? If I have a ton of faith in the Muslim God, not saved. Could be the most faithful person in the world, could be so confident that it's true and right and good, and yet, you know what would happen? I would be wrong, and I would pay for the price of that. But if our faith and our confidence is in Christ and in his word and we are faithfully seeking to do what he's called us to do and we're faithfully seeking to humbly teach the truth of his word, that is a good and faithful thing for us to do. So we see here that Paul has repeatedly made it clear that false teachers are a problem. What do these false teachers do? They, they abandon the gospel for vain jangling they want a platform, but they don't want to prepare, and they don't have the right purpose in it, and they speak confidently, but not truthfully. False teachers are a problem. He spent a lot of time here talking about that, and they're no less a problem today. So obviously, we need to confront that. But in this, I think we can also learn very clearly what not to do. Instead of wandering into the same trap, instead of falling into the same pits that they did, we need to do the opposite. Which gives us three key pieces of advice. Number one, doggedly teach the gospel. Don't be tempted to turn to anything else. Don't be tempted to give in to the pragmatism and the junk of the world and say, well, you know, people, people like this other stuff. They may like it, but it's not good for them. Teach the truth. Secondly, if you teach, you better prepare and purpose to glorify God by being faithful. Give it your best shot. Learn, ask questions, dive into the text. And that doesn't mean a Google search two minutes before. It means give it your best shot. And thirdly, have confidence in the biblical teachings. Don't feel like you have to put on some air of confidence and arrogance. The best teachers I've ever had were those who were humble, who followed the Lord faithfully. Listen, friends, I can see here today, I could tell you a few jokes, I can make you laugh, I could tell a few entertaining stories, but what matters is the truth. Faithful teachers don't abandon the gospel. And so this morning, I want you to know that Christ is Lord, and the only way to be saved from eternal punishment and judgment is to throw yourself on his mercy. Repent of your sins, believe in him as Lord of your life, and be saved. But if you are a believer, and if you're a part of this church, we need to make the following commitment. And that is this, where other teachers are going weaker and more shallow, we are to go deeper and more faithful. 
Rather than putting our confidence in men, we place our confidence in Scripture. We plant our flag on the gospel, and we teach that because everything else is vain jangling. May we be faithful to teach the gospel well to those around us. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you again this morning, and Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace toward us. Lord, there's nothing we can say, nothing we could do that would ever be good enough, thanks, for the grace that you've shown us. Lord, I pray that if there are people here who have been less than faithful in their teaching, again, whether that's to friends, a class, other kids. The Lord, you would call them to faithfulness. You would help them to repent of that and to do better in the future, to be faithful in this wonderful stewardship that you've given us to teach the gospel. And Lord, I also pray that if there's someone here today who has never faithfully heard the gospel, no one has ever faithfully taught them what it is, that Lord, they would repent of their sins, they'd believe in Christ Jesus, and Lord, that they would be saved. Lord, have your way in this place today. May your will be done. And Lord, we ask, help us be more faithful as a church. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.